Savor 2011 coverage by Craft Beer Radio from Friday, June 3rd. Savor Private Tasting Salon, the taste of the Midwest, pairing local beers and foods with Stephen Pauls of Boulevard Brewing Company. Uh, our sponsors that make Savor possible, we have the Ray's Bever- Beverage Group, Brewery Omegang, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery, Sam Adams, craftbeer.com, Allagash Brewing Company, The Brooklyn Brewery, Flying Dog Ales, Full Sail Brewing Company, New Belgium Brewing Company, Rogue Ales, Saranac, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, Victory Brewing Company, Crosby and Baker Limited, Draft Magazine, GreatBrewers.com, Oak Beverages Incorporated, and Spiegelau. Did I say that right? Oh, yeah. All right. Thank you. He's, he's Belgian, so he's holding me to the pronunciation, and I need a little help on that once in a while, so thanks. Um, all these salons are also um, recorded, and they will be available by podcast, too, so you can listen to them again if you want. You can share them with friends and so forth, so that's uh, another feature to the salon. So we will definitely have time for some questions. We'll do our best. Um, if you want to ask one in the middle of the conversation, please feel free um, I will repeat the question, even though that all of us can hear it. We need to repeat it for the recording. And um, if we need to move along, I get to be the heavy to keep us moving along. So um, if you have more great questions, you know, there's going to be other ways you can get to them. So I think that's a housekeeping. You do have a dump bucket in front of you. Most of you are probably familiar with this, but this is a tasting. This is an educational tasting salon. So if you do not like the beer, please don't. Drink it if you don't want to enjoy it. Dump it out into the bucket, rinse your glass, and this fabulous staff that's everywhere um, will make sure and you have plenty of water and so forth and so on. So um, we mean that in earnest, and even though that seems like a crime to some people, that's, uh, that's perfectly acceptable. So that's a great thing about tasting. So with no further ado, I get to introduce Stephen Powells, who's been hogging the conversation so far. Stephen... I like Steven. He's a lot of fun. He's a good sport. Um, I was going to make up some stories, but I'll just go straight to his official bite. Do you want me to? Yeah. Okay. So Steven was a professional skateboarder by the age of two, and then he decided that wasn't enough excitement. So he climbed, uh, what was it, North North Slope? And uh, at the top of that, he found his higher calling in the fact that beer was going to be his life. So that's all I got right now. I'll make up more for next time. Stephen Powells is sitting right here. Of course, he's been the brewmaster at Boulevard Brewing Company in Kansas City, Missouri for more than 11 years, going on 12, of course. During his 10 years, uh, Stephen has overseen all aspects of brewing and quality control as the brewery's sales have more than tripled to over 150,000 barrels of beer. That's a lot of beer. A lot of great beer. Uh, he's responsible for more than a dozen additions to Boulevard's brand lineup. Has anybody been to Boulevard in Kansas City? By any chance? Excellent. When you get the chance, highly encourage you to go. One thing um, about Boulevard is they are one of my standards, and I don't think you've heard me say this before, Stephen, is eat off the floor clean. They are an extraordinarily clean brewery, and that is kudos to your credit. It's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, So they've got a tremendous lineup, and the tap room that they've got right there on site is a lovely place to enjoy your fresh beer, of course. And uh, the Smokestack series is one of the critically acclaimed line of artisanal beers that is lovely as well. Stephen grew up steeped in the brewing industry. His first stint in the business came with summer work at his Belgian hometown brewery, Eclo Browry Kruger. And I probably didn't quite get that right, but it'll be okay. Where his father was working. Uh, after receiving degrees in biochemical engineering with Caho St. Levine... And in business administration for, from Mercator, both in Ghent, Belgium, he held positions at the Domus Brew Pub in Louvain and at the Riva Brew Pub Brewery, excuse me, in 
Stenter Gem. Hem. So, I will stop butchering words and I will let Stephen take it from here. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ginger. Um, Okay. So, what we're going to do today, uh, or uh, here for the next three quarters of an hour or so, is uh, enjoy the Midwest. Enjoy things that are happening in the Midwest. And um, uh, so, the first thing what we're going to do is, of course, we have a beer. And all the beers are from Boulevard. Sorry, but... We're really focusing on Kansas City here, I guess. Um, but uh, when I came to Kansas City about 12 years ago, um, all I could find was uh, Wonder Bread. Um, you know, you, I mean, you get the drift of stuff that I could find. And I remember going to the store with my wife, and we were just completely lost. You know, we come from Belgium, and you have charcuterie, and you have sausages, and, 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 and black bread, and, and, you know, all these kinds of different things. And I'm like, good Lord, where did I, where did I end up in? And um, after... And you were in Kansas. It wasn't, it wasn't a Dorothy thing. No, it wasn't a Dorothy thing. So um, I'm just really proud to bring uh, here today cheeses and chocolates and breads uh, that are made in Kansas City. And are just... When I take them back to Belgium, people go, wow. What did he get this inspiration? Because it's just... I mean, in 12 years, it just completely turned around. And... Um, when I start, when I go to uh, Brewing Magazine and stuff, usually I find things from the East Coast and the West Coast. And the Midwest is kind of usually forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's too bad because I think there's some really cool stuff coming from the Midwest. And I'm, I'm proud to call myself a Midwesterner slash Belgian, I guess. You know? <laughs> but it's a great combination to be in. Um, so can we bring out the plates? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, Very bring good. Up plates. So the first beer that we have is our Imperial Stout. Now, it's totally crazy to start with the strongest beer first. It's com- completely contradictory, but this is, um, we're pairing this with, the, we have two cheese, and this is with the mildest cheese that we're going to pair it. Um, this beer is all about how much viscosity can you get in a beer. That's really what, it's, what it comes down to. And, and, of course, how much flavor can you get into it? How, how black can you make it? Uh, and, you know, how can you get a beer in your mouth and you swirl it and it kind of sticks to every, every, every point in your mouth? That's really the whole point of this beer. Um, all the beers that we're going to have today are all smokestack beers. They're all high in alcohol. Um, this guy, if I'm not mistaken, is 12% alcohol. So if, you, if you're not going to drink the glass completely, I completely understand. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm, I might look weird at you, but I'm not, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Um, so uh, what we do with this beer is we, we use uh, about 25% of the beer is barrel-aged. Uh, the rest is just regular brute, and then we blend it uh, before bottling. Um, okay, the, so the cheese that you pair with this is the one that's on this, the little um, pretzel, 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 pretzel roll. I'm sorry. Doing great. Ooh. It's not Wonder Bread. Yeah, it's okay. not Wonder Bread. <laughs> um, it's that cheese. And the, the cheese is actually, it's a smoked cheese. Now, coming from Kansas City, I had to bring something related to barbecue, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, that's this one. It's the Bobcat Dan smoked cheddar cheese. It's actually the cheese comes from Wisconsin, but then he buys it in big blocks and then he smokes it, mm-hmm. and he smokes it under very low temperature on uh, applewood and um, beech, I think. Okay, excellent. Uh, it smokes for about three hours, so you get that nice. Uh, smoky flavor from that. And then if you pair that with the beer, which has a lot of f- uh, smoke flavors too, I mean, that's kind of what the flavor hook should be. If you have a chance, keep one of the halves of the, of the uh, bread. Keep that aside. We'll use that as a palate cleanser before you go to the next one. Yeah. 
Okay, I know they're kind of open-faced. Mm-hmm. So just take the bottom part with the two pieces of cheese on it. And um, the pretzel rolls are made by a, a, a bakery that's been in Kansas City for quite a while. It's called Farm to Market. Um, very well-known. They deliver to about every restaurant and every catering company and, uh, and also to um, grocery stores. And we like this one, this pretzel roll, because it's salted pretzel roll. Now, um, salt and beer are really a heavenly match, and that's why cheese and beer also are a heavenly match. Actually, I was emailing this morning with a friend of mine who owns a shoe in Belgium. I was telling him, I emailed him at 5 o'clock this morning, and he's like, wow, are you already awake or are you still awake? And I emailed him, like, I'm on my way to watch DDC. I'm going to do this talk about cheese and beer. And he's like, well, he's like, yeah, you're the right guy to, say, to talk about that. And he's like, you've got to explain why cheese and beer matches and why not cheese and wine matches. It's like, and I emailed him back, so what do you mean? And he's like, well, have you ever seen a cow eat grapes? I'm like, <laughs> all right, all right, I got it. So, uh, but why, mainly the reason why I think cheese and beer really works better is because you have that carbonation from beer. Even though this is a lower carbonation beer, but this carbonation helps really clean up your palate. You know, cheese is all, I mean, it's a lot of grease and fatty and salty, and then you take a sip of the beer and it kind of scrubs over your tongue and it kind of cleans better. The only thing that wine can do is acidity, and the acidity kind of does that too, but I think the carbonation kind of does a better cleaning job. Stephen, do you want to talk about, um, it's very rudimentary, but I think that it's really important, um, how to taste your beer and how to taste food and go ahead, how to taste food and beer together. I know one thing, and tell me uh, if you agree, that part of the magic of tasting beer with food is to make sure you have some of the beer and some of the food in your mouth at the same time to let those flavors mingle and, and really set the, set the tone for what the flavor is supposed to be. Can you comment a little bit on, on how you taste uh, those things? I usually, I usually taste the beer first, then take a little bit of the food, and then taste the beer again. And then you see what the influence of the beer has, or the food has on the beer. You can do it backwards too. But the whole idea is that beer, that they're going to somewhere overlap or somewhere change the flavors or the tastes of the, of the food or of the beer. You know, that's kind of the idea. And uh, usually what we always try to find is a flavor hook. Either you find a flavor hook or a complete contradiction. Um, I think in this case, smokiness is kind of what carries over um, and, and, and kind of gets those two together. Do you agree? Is it good pairing? Whew, that's number one. We've only got 45 minutes more left. A cigar. A cigar. I know, oh, I know. Excellent choice. Non-smoking building. Sorry about that. <laughs> that was my first idea, too. But. So the beer, um, 25% of the beer is, is aged in a whiskey barrel. So you, you, you probably picked that up too. There's this high, heavy whiskey layer in the, in the, at the back, of the back of your tongue and just up front in your nose also, I guess. Um, and we do that also by, on purpose. We just want to get, you know, we want to create beers with layers and layers after layer, um, especially for these big beers. Uh, we, we make regular beers too, you know. We have, we make wheat beer. It's the majority of the beer that we make, and it's very quaffable, very easy drink, just like a pilsner that we make too. But for these big beers, you know, we want to make layers of, of flavors, and that's the whole idea. Is you just build on and on and on and on. Do you yeah. reuse your barrels, Stephen? Uh, actually, these are second-use barrels. Okay. And what? Um, how do the barrels? What kind of barrels do you choose to start with? Um, 
the majority of the barrels now that we have are um, we have some from Heaven Hill, we have some from um, uh, that's Kentucky, we have some from Jack Daniels from Tennessee, and then we also have some um, from uh, Templeton Rye in Iowa. <laughs> I know, that I know, I know, I know. And, rye. Anybody had that before? Templeton Rye okay. in amazing. So um, yeah, so now what we do is we make a beer that's called Rye on Rye. That's uh, a beer. It's a rye beer. It's aged in a. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a rye beer aged in a rye whiskey barrel. It's usually we, we usually blend it a little bit. Um, I, I talk about that beer when we started making that beer. So a rye beer, you know, get that nice spiciness, and then you put it in these whiskey barrels. And we started initially as brewers. We can we want to keep things going. We want to keep things clipping. So we taste it after a week and after two weeks and after a month, and nothing's changing. We taste the beer, and then we get the heat of the whiskey. And, you know, we, we keep going and, and nothing changes and we're getting a little desperate until after about 11 months we finally get a nice blend of these flavors. You know, and because we don't want to put that beer out and you taste the beer and first you get that big wave of whiskey and then in the end you just got beer. We just want to get, you know, it's all about these blending these flavors. So it takes about 11 months before we get the real character of that beer. And then what we do is we make the stout and we put that in there and we age that for about another year. <clears throat> The availability of that beer in particular? Yeah. Okay. Do you live here in Washington, D.C., in Virginia? Okay. Okay. All right. So where, where, uh, where could they find that, or when would they be able to uh, find that? You know, the best, the best thing to do really would be um, uh, become a friend of Boulevard on Facebook. Uh, Facebook or Twitter. And then actually Julie over there is uh, my colleague, and she'll keep you updated. On that. Excellent. All right. Any other questions on this beer or this pairing at all right now? All right. They're coming around with the second one. We don't want to rush you, but we do have to watch the clock. So the next right. one, we'll, uh, we'll introduce that in just a moment. Go ahead and uh, rinse your glasses as you need. And Stephen, what do you want to talk about while we uh, change well, up? I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the history of Boulevard. Uh, Excellent. Bo- Boulevard was... Um, was started in 89 by a guy called John McDonald. If you've been here to Savor, he's the guy who had the boot, was at the boot here two years ago and last year. Two years ago, he was here all by himself, the poor guy. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's a very nice, nice guy. And the idea that he had to make the brewery was because his wife now, then fiance, traveled a lot back and forth to Europe, and he saw these small breweries that had, um, they were very local, and they were just supplying beer for the local community. And he liked to start a brewery like that. And he started in 89. Uh, first beer that he made was Pale Ale. And we still make Boulevard Pale Ale. Um, and uh, he's, still our, he's still the boss. And he got an industry recognition award this past yeah. year at the CBC. Can you mention what that's about? Yeah, yeah he, um, he got the industry award recognition. So the, um, that means that he, from the people that have breweries, uh, he got recognized as being one of, the, one of the peers for them, which was very, very cool. Yes. Uh, because we're, like I said, we're in the Midwest, kind of unknown, but, um, okay. <laughs> make, making great beer. Yeah, make, trying to make great beer. Excellent. Wonderful. All right. Well, we have our second beer. Most of you have it in hand, so we'll go ahead and introduce that. Stephen, tell us what it is and tell us how it's going to pair tonight. Okay. So the, the next beer is, uh, is called Saison Brett. Um, it's very, it's very young. Uh, what, how we make, how we make this beer, it's, uh, 
I don't know if you're familiar with another beer that we make, Tank 7. It's basically Tank 7, and then we, at bottling, we add a, um, a, a Brettanomyces strain to it. So is Tank uh, 7 a Saison? Yeah. Okay. Do you know what a Saison is? I believe it's a farmhouse ale. Am I... Yeah, what that's else? true. School me, because I need to know more on that. I know. <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll talk a little bit after that okay. about, about Saisons. <laughs> um, so we... Um, so what we do is we add the Brettanomyces to it, and then Brettanomyces is basically a wild yeast strain. makes lovely aromas of hay and farm and wet dog, <laughs> la- uh, uh, horse saddle, manure, you know, all that kind of flavors. Really beautiful. Truly the farmhouse, huh? It's really, truly farmhouse. <laughs> yeah, the great. There you go. Typical Midwestern. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so when we, when we, actually when we started thinking about making saison and making farmhouse ales, we really thought about how can you make this really earthy because that's, I think, a character for these beers. And the, the only way you could come up with was using these Brettanomyces. Now, this is for us is a limited release beer. It's, it was bottled in March, and we let it age for three months at the brewery before we let it release. Um, and as you, if you ever get a chance to buy a bottle or if you ever had bought a bottle, I recommend that you buy two or three or four, whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah. but uh, you should drink one right away. And then, you know, every two months or so, keep them just cold or in, in a cool temperature and, and drink them. And you'll see that beer completely age. And after, after about a year or so, it's complete funk. And there's not a lot left anymore from really beer character. But we like to release it I like to release it now because now it still smells like beer. You can have hop character in there. You still have some sweetness. But the bread is lingering. You know, it's there. It's kind of it's got a little bit of that fun going. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, you like it? The bread fermentation? Uh, you know, we, we, we just give it three, three months, but it's, it lasts longer. Yeah, it keeps going. It keeps going. Yeah. So, when, so when if, you, if you have a bottle and you want to keep it for three years, if you like to do that, uh, if you open it, point it at, don't point it in your face. I mean, point it away because the pressure keeps building up in the bottles. Okay. Can you comment, Stephen? Lucy, thanks for that question. That's a great one. Um, beer, it, we've been told that beer is always best fresh. Can you comment a little bit on your, ask, your asking people to age this one and what the difference is between beers you should age and beers you should drink fresh? Um, well, as a rule of thumb, anything that's lager, light in color, um, no Belgian yeast, no bottle conditioning, drink it as fast as possible. Um, if you have, a, and low in alcohol, if you have dark beer, um, Belgian yeasts, bottle conditioned, higher alcohol, all those barrel aged, you can, you, those you can age. The exception to the rule are lambics and, and funky beers. Sour beers, you can age those too, but once fruit is with it, in it, the fruit will disappear. If you have like a, if we were to put fruit in this, the betanomyces will take over the fruit flavors, and it'll become funk again. So fruit beers, again, if they're pasteurized, it's a different story. I'm making too many exceptions here, am I? <laughs> um, but um, but really, uh, if you make a, if you have a, a sour beer with fruit, you should drink it as fast as possible because the fruit flavor will disappear. So again. Um, Belgian style beers, dark in color, barrel aged beers, ball conditioned, you know, those beers you can age. Now, personally, I don't like aged beers, but that's my, the only one that I would age would be this one. Like, uh, we make six class and we make, like, even Imperial Stout. I don't, I don't like those aged because 
the, especially when we have beers that we barrel age, we kind of we, we kind of look for that peak when we have all the flavors coming together, and that's when we want to release them. Um, if we if you say like I'm going to keep this for two more years, that's great, but you're going to lose something, and something else is going to come the way. And most likely, it's going to be cardboard and oxidation flavors, stuff that I don't really like. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's your choice. You bought it, yeah. You know? right. so, sorry. Yeah, the pairing. Tell us okay. about the cheese you chose for this, Stephen. Okay, the cheese is from Green Dirt Farm. Uh, Green Dirt Farm is about 40 miles north of Kansas City, and it's a, um, it's a little place, a little farm that's owned by two women, um, Sarah and Jacqueline, and they, they raise uh, sheep. And initially, they were just raising sheep to sell them uh, as meat, and then they kind of... Um, kind of found the idea to make to make cheeses also and this cheese is called bossa uh it's a uh, farmstead sheep's milk cheese uh the rind is um the color on the rind is because they yeah, it, it's washed and then it, it's brined and it's as it ages the color kind of changes um we work together a lot with beer and cheese pairings with them they're a really good company to work with they're i mean they're really out out there thinking um and uh, they were telling me that the, che- the color on the on the rind changes uh, depending on the season. So if the if the sheep they're out there and there's a lot of wildflower out, the color will be more yellow. Um, and then yeah, and, and when it, when the wildflowers are gone, it'll be more orange, hmm. uh, which is kind of interesting. And then the che- and the cheese is also completely different in spring versus fall. In spring, I mean, this is spring of course, spring cheese. But later on, it'll be more soft. It'll be more a little bit more intense in flavor also. That's wonderful. That mouthfeel on that is fantastic, too. Yeah. The lushness of the cheese and the, the viscosity of that beer. Good. It's yummy. So that means number the, two? The wine, that's right. I got number two, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need to change the wine and cheese with beer and cheese. Yeah, I think so, yeah, too. Indeed. <laughs> okay. Brett? Oh, well, the question is, why do we call oh. it to Brett? Well, initially we called it for George, you know, our hero in Kansas City. <laughs> uh... But I'm not sure if he likes that. So, so Brett is short for Brettanomyces now. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the yeah. other Brettanomyces is the is the strain in this one, the bacteria mm-hmm. strain in this one. What are some other common um, bacteria that are used? Because sour beers seem to be really popular right now. Yeah. Wildly diverse in flavors. Do we have some sour beer enthusiasts out in the audience? Okay. Yeah, they're remarkably mm-hmm. different than anything else. What are a couple other common yeast strains, or excuse me, bacteria strains, Stephen? Um, well, uh, Pediococcus is one of them. Um, they're basically all beer spoilers. Really, that's what they are. Um, but uh, Pediococcus is in there, Lactobacillus usually, Brettanomyces is in there. Uh, some will have a little bit of Acetobacter, which is, gives that uh, note of, um, of vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, but we work, we work a little bit with Lactobacillus, too. We have a beer out now. It's called Two Jokers. And... Um, yeah, what's in the name, right? Two be? Jokers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Are you and John? Or? Yeah, yeah, me and John. That's your um, and Two Jokers is a beer that we make with a sour mash. Uh, I know some of you here are home brewers. Actually, we learn a lot from home brewers uh, because we couldn't come up with that idea ourselves. So what we do is we make a mash, we louder it, and then we sparge it with cold water. And then we add a culture to it, like the bacillus culture, and let it sit for 24 hours. And the pH drops from five, two or so to about three, one. Uh, it's about 1% acidity. I mean, it's, it's like points in your face. Um, and what we did is we blended that beer about, again, 25% of the sour beer with the rest of the other beer and made a double wit. Um, and we don't have it here with, with us today. I, 
probably should have. Um, but it's a very interesting beer because it kind of goes back to tradition when uh, wit beers were also sour beers. Everybody thinks about the goose and the lambics and, and the red beers from, from um, the Ruslare area, you know, the, and then you have also the, the sour browns from the Odenare area. Um, well, the, the, the uh, wit beers used to be that too. They used to be sour. And they, what they used to do is they would bypass the, the kettle. They used to bypass the boil and make the beer sour that way. Because in those days, what they wanted to make was more was, was nutrition more than anything. Those were the great days, thinking about beer <laughs> as nutrition. <laughs> um, so they made a beer that was really low in alcohol, and they wouldn't mash. They would just mash at, at room temperature, so really nothing would happen. But they would make like one, one and a half percent alcohol, but it would still have a lot of nutrition. Well, if you were trying to drink that without any hops, just spices, it would go like a brick on your stomach. So by making it acidic, they would, it would, one, it would last a little longer, and two, it would be more drinkable also. So that's really the story between, behind sour beers. Another story between sour beers, why did they make them, was really to preserve the beer. They didn't have hops. So the north part of Belgium used to have hops and the south part wouldn't. And that's what they would do is they would just acidify the beer so they could last longer. Um, you know, just a you know, preserving technique, really. That's all there is. Have you, before hops came along, um, there was gruit. Have yeah. you ever brewed with gruit? And gruit was a variety of spices. It was it could vary greatly. Is that my is my understanding correct? It was, it was. There's some history behind it. But have you ever brewed a beer with gruit, Stephen? No, I haven't. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what gruit is. Okay. Um, I I mean I kind of know kind of what it is, um, but I nobody really. I, I haven't found anything with the with the right amounts. And the reason why is because they kept it secret. Oh. Um, the, it was the the the, the lords that owned the cities had the rights for these, um, um, for these gruit, and it would be their way to tax brewers. Right. So they would keep it secret and they wouldn't tell anybody sure. about it. Excellent. I, I need to, yeah, I'm going to tell you about the bread. The bread is from Ferver, and Ferver is a small, a little bit of show and tell here. Um, but this is the bread. It's Ferver. is a small bakery. It's on 17th and Summit, if you ever go to Kansas City. Um, they, they are only open, I think they open up at 10, is that, at 11 every day, and if you're not there by 11.30, the, the bread is gone. And the guy, it's, wow. it's a pretty amazing place, he doesn't want to make more bread. He's like, okay, this is the amount of bread that I make, and if, you, if you're not here in time, or if you don't call in time, you're not going to get it. But this bread is, this is one of my favorite breads that they make, it's got uh, apricots, apples, and raisins in it, and it makes it really moist. And really sweet, and I thought the sweetness in the bread, and then the cheese, the the saltiness and Excellent. the fattiness in the cheese, kind of melted good together. Also, so I uh, I hope you like that. Yeah. Good bread, isn't so it? So, if you made French toast with that bread, Stephen, what beer would you pair with that French toast? It would be shame to make it French toast. I think. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I just eat it like this with oh, a good okay. slice of cheese. Say you had a stale loaf by some freak of nature. <laughs> 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 All right, excellent. Well, we're going to so, move into... Go ahead and enjoy your beer. Please. Yeah, go cool thing. Thanks. Indeed. Everybody like the beer? Good? Good? Everybody, anybody had this beer before? No one? Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, um, uh, like I said, the beers that we have here now are all smokestack, and we have a, a lineup of regular beers also. Um, we make uh, six year-round beers, I think. Pilsner... 
Pilsner Reedbird Pale Ale. We have an Amber Ale. We have an IPA. It's called Single White IPA. And uh, I'm missing one. Dry Stout and Bully Porter. Bully Porter. Thanks. Yeah, all great choices. Your, your Pilsner is one of my favorite uh, Pilsners. I love it. It's just so crisp and light and really refreshing when I want to deeply hydrate. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to give you another hug here after this. <laughs> Uh, I have show and tell on the on the cheeses also. This is the uh, Bobcat Dan. That's a smoked um, cheddar. And then this is the Bossa. Um, we shipped this. UPS actually made a little mistake. They shipped it and they had the wrong place and then they shipped it over here. I mean, this is live cheese. They opened the box and they fell over. You know, this is stinky cheese. If you don't cool it down and if you don't, I mean, if you don't keep it cold, it can get really, really. You should, you should ask the caterers. They're like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> what? Yeah, we're not so Oh, yeah, yeah, it's the new one. Sorry, yeah, you got the new one. Uh, this, I think you, they have a lot of, they go to a lot of farm, uh, what do you call it, farm markets. Uh, you can find it. And um, you might check their website. They probably have it on their website. Yeah, um, it's greendirtfarm.com for that cheese, the sheep's milk that you just tried. And this is Bobcat. You know, he's just starting. Actually, we sell those cheeses in the brewery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And always you can contact Boulevard, and yeah. they'll, they'll help you. Okay, yeah. yep, they'll help you out with that. So. Good, good. Excellent. All right, two Thank down, you. two to go. We're going to go ahead and get on that third beer next. Moving right along. Does anybody have a question in the interim for Stephen that there's just burning a hole in their brain? The oh, question yeah. is... Yeah. Sorry. Um, what do you do different between the single wide and the double wide? Um, uh, double wide is a stronger beer. Single wide is a lot lower in alcohol. And double wide, we use a lot more caramel malt to balance out the, the bitterness and the hops. Uh, the reason why we, have, we make a double wide is because we have a lot, of, a lot of local artists that like what we do. And one of them made this nice painting of the brewery. Um, and then it, uh, it had a logo underneath it and said, Twister Proof. Um, we tend to get some uh, some or tornadoes coming through the brewer, uh, through the area sometimes. So we like we like to f- like to know that our brewery is twister proof. But that was the that was the painting, and based on that, we made a beer called Double White Double White IPA. And that was a question that the gentleman had: is that's it's it's a double IPA, but it's kind of it's Midwestern style, I would say. It has sweetness. It's got the caramel malt, and the pop is not. It's not going to take the enamel off your teeth. It's kind of still balanced out, I think. And then single white is its little brother. It comes in twelve ounce bottles. It's um, you know, it's it's probably it's not a, it's more assertive in in hop character than double white is. Uh, it's kind of contradictory, but that's how we do it. You know. Excellent. Very nice. Thank you. All right. Next beer. Do you want to lead us into our next beer as it's getting poured for All the right. crew? Next beer is a uh, long strange triple. And um, let me think here. I didn't think about how we should taste these. We probably should do a sip of beer and then the, and then the chocolate. The chocolate is, um, the, both these chocolates are made by Christopher Elbow, um, who's a local chocolatier in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And um, the one, so the one with the white dots on is the one that you need to take. That's the one with the, it's, it's salt, it's sea salt. It's caramelized salt on the inside. And like I talked again about salt and, and beer being such a great combination. 
So if you take a little sip of beer, then take a, a bite of that chocolate, and then go back to the beer, you'll understand what I'm talking about. The flavors in the beer will just pop and, uh, and, and be so much more pronounced. Um, to get the salt character in the chocolate, they use French um, sea salt. It's these big crystals. Um, and the reason why they do that is because that's the only salt that they could find that really gives that salt character, you know. Uh, just the regular salt will not give that, that much flavor. Um, and, and comparing a, or pairing a chocolate and a triple is kind of not really common. Uh, you probably wouldn't do that in normal, but I just like... I it's just your like, salon, Stephen. I know, I can do it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. You're here to try something different. <laughs> so, um, but um, I, I kind of like it. It's kind of, it's different, but it's, it's not the traditional way of pairing things. D- d- did it work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, did the salt kind of help pop the beer? Yeah. Uh, you know, when you do that, all of a sudden, all those banana flavors on the beer come out, and you get all these fruit flavors coming out. What's cool. inside this? Is it, it's a caramel? Yeah, it's, car- it's oh caramel, gosh. yeah. Can I have another? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We might no. have extra. No, 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 that's all right. <laughs> I don't need special treatment. Isn't it great? Cool. So, um, uh, what was I going to say? Is how, how they make this chocolate is uh, they make these, the forms first, they, they, and then they go under the chocolate fountain. I wish I could go under the chocolate fountain now and then. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's how they, they fill them, and then they, they pour them out, and then they put the ganache in, how they call it, or the, I'm sorry, the caramel. And the caramel is just basically sugar and water, half, you know, 50-50. You just uh, heat it up until it almost boils, and then you put the cream and the salt. The, the salt will get into the cream, but won't get into the, into the sugar. So they, pour, they make the mixture of salt and cream, and then they pour that in to kind of cool it down. Uh, but they make that, what I've seen them make that caramel, it's almost like, like a few seconds from burning. That's how thick and how intense they make that caramel. Okay. Um, Excellent. And, and as a Belgian um, person as well, as an American person, you have a lot of great chocolates from Belgium as well, correct? Yeah. Well known for the great chocolates and so yeah. forth. It's interesting because I take this chocolate back to Belgium mm-hmm. and everybody thinks this is the greatest chocolate. <laughs> Be- yeah, because... Where you go Midwest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So proud to be from Kansas City, uh, uh, the uh, because in in Belgium, if you if you ever had Belgian pralines, they always have cream in them on the inside, and they're kind of they're basically totally different. This is all about intensity of flavors in a small pocket of chocolate, while in in European chocolate, Belgian chocolate is more it's all a little more lush, I guess you know. So they're kind of different. Um, the triple is one of the four uh, year-round smokestack beers that we make. And um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of triples. I just like triples. I don't. I mean, I, I'm not a hop head, what even though I drink IPA. What makes a triple a triple? Um, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> You're the brewer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. You know, I had the chance to go back to Belgium here a couple of weeks ago with some brewers from uh, that we did a collaboration with with the shoots, and I was kind of their guide and bus driver. And um, so we had a lot of triples, but, you know, the triples ranged from, they're usually paler in color than this, but they range from 6% to about 10.5% or so. And um, the story is that triples were, um, um, the name triple comes from the, the X's on the, on the barrels. You know, the monks kind of kept beer alive through the dark ages. And uh, what they, the brewing was kind of different than what we do now. Now we make a batch and a batch goes out. 
the Lauretan wasn't existing yet for homebrewers here. What they would do, they would, like a, a woven basket, they would put that in and then spoon out the wort. That's how they would separate the grain from the, from the, from the wort. And uh, by doing that, they first kind of had the first one, and that would be the first batch, and they boiled it and then cooled it down and fermented it separately, and then they would put water in and kind of dilute it. Well, the first one went into barrels, and they would put three crosses on, you know, like you see now, the drunken bottles, three crosses on it. They would put three crosses on as the strongest one. And then you had, they called it the triple, and then had the double, and then had the single. The triple, they made the, the that was the strongest, but they did have, there was le- less amount that they made. So they kept that for special occasions. Uh, regular people like us who would go into the monastery would get the single, you know, the regular. Right, the travelers and the pilgrims and so yeah. forth. All right. Very good. Um, also... A quad, that's invented by a marketing company. It's true. <laughs> it's a true story. Latrop in Holland wanted to make it, you know, it was a marketing company who told him, like, hey, there's triple. Let's make a quadruple. I'm waiting for somebody to make, what is it, quintuple? Yeah. <laughs> quintuple or, or quintuple? Yeah. I like tuple, the tipple yeah. better. <laughs> quintuple, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The quintupler. Yeah. So um, one thing that I like that we really keen on when you make Belgian beers is, um, is carbonation. And I think a lot of brewers kind of underestimate the power of carbonation. We talked about it already about cheese and carbonation, how it cleans your palate. You know, um, we get questions to make our, our quad and our triple to put it on draft. And I keep telling them, no way. We call them, no way, Jose. We don't, we're not going to do it. Uh, the reason is because when you have draft beer, you can't put that much CO2 in it. You know, we, these beers have you know, between four and five volumes of CO2. A regular beer has two and a half. So we put an almost double amount of CO2 in it because it's the, it's the carbonation that helps you digest the beer. Because in the end, my rule of thumb is if you have a glass of beer, it needs to ask for a second glass of beer. That's to me, is a good beer. So, and it, I'm a simple guy. Yeah, simple rule, simple guy. And that's, uh, you know, that's, and if you didn't have that carbonation, you wouldn't get there. So that's, that's my little rule. Yeah. Very nice. That's why we haven't done cask. No. No. How many how many <laughs> barrels do you have going on right now? I've been in your barrel room. It's spectacular. And when you get to Kansas City or when you get there next, I highly recommend you sign up for their tour. And you need to do so in advance um, because it will fill up. It's a spectacular tour. Uh, about two and a half years ago, you revamped the tap mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, and uh, you do need to sign up, though, because there's a limited amount of space. But um, they have a lot of different beers on tap. In fact, I think when I was there last with, with Larry, you even poured a beer for us, and that was an extra treat. But um, it's a great experience. Most breweries welcome visitors, if not have regularly scheduled tours. But Boulevard is so popular. And even though they've been around for a, a really great amount of tenure, the people are still coming from all over. So uh, make your plans in advance just like you planned for Savor. It's fabulous. Cool. Indeed. All right. So we're just about ready to go into the fourth beer. So we'll uh, clean those glasses out if you drained it and pour you the fresh beer. And, Stephen, what is our fourth beer for the okay. evening? The, the fourth beer is, uh, is called Dark Truth. Um, you see that it comes in a smaller bottle because we started uh, also selling our uh, smokestack beers in small bottles. Um, and we had actually we had a, a bottle specially designed for this. Because, again, we, could, we put so much carbonation in our beer, is a regular bottle would explode under the carbonation levels thicker that we have. Thicker glass walls. Yeah, thicker okay. glass walls. Um, this is a dark truth. Is a, it's also a stout. It's a, um, it's a Belgian stout. And it's, um, we, what we wanted to do is 
make a make a five grain stout. So it's got wheat, it's got barley, it's got oats, um, rye, and spelt in it. That is and, beautiful. Look at that color. Yeah. And uh, the what we want to pair with it is a chocolate with uh, that's filled with raspberry. You know, you you probably you probably all had a raspberry stout, and there's a reason why raspberry stout was invented because <laughs> raspberries and stout, I think, are just I mean, they're. Why do you think they go so well together, raspberries and stout, Stephen? I, I, think, I think it's the missing link in a stout. You have all that roast, and you kind of miss some fruit character in it. Okay. And then the raspberry fruit kind of helps. You know, enhance it? Yeah, enhance it and give it an extra dimension, actually. Okay, yeah. great. So tell us, keep talking to us about that fabulous beer. So, the, the, um, uh, so basically, this is also the basis, or one of the basis to make imperial stout. Um, they're, basic, they're basically hand, br- brother and sister almost, even though it's lower in alcohol, but they're very, very similar. And what we do um, is we, we use a Belgian yeast strain. Uh, we've, we make a stout also with an English strain, uh, but if you put the Belgian strain on it again, you can enhance and kind of make another extra flavor components in that beer that you normally couldn't get. So you'll find some fruit flavors in this beer, which you normally are hard to find in a... Um, um, in a regular stout or in a dry stout. Okay, excellent. Can you, uh, I'm sorry. You like it? Good. Stouts are great. You know, it's, I think that stouts are extremely flexible, in my humble opinion. Yeah. And so what are, besides this fabulous pairing you've got for us today, Stephen, what else would you recommend people try pairing with their stouts? Oh, my God. Um, Ice cream? Ice cream? I don't know. Oh, yeah, ice cream, yeah. Oh, uh, you know what? Um, if, you, if you ever had a chance and come to Kansas City, Christopher Elbow also has an ice cream shop. Ooh. And he makes beer ice cream at our beer now and then. He makes a, a six-glass ice cream, which is our quadruple. But like this one, and you get, again, salt. I'm, I'm a big fan of salt and beer. But if you get salted pretzel or salted ice cream or just get vanilla ice cream, put a little bit of crystals of salt in it and kind of put it in a bowl, put it in beer and make a float out of it. I know people in Belgium now are you know, asking, well, what's, what's your problem there, American? But, you know, I think, I think it's great. I, you know, a beer float is, I think, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a stout, vanilla, just a little bit of salt on there, and it's just fantastic. I'm how, guessing how, you want to use just plain old sea salt, too. You don't want to use iodized table salt? No, no, just use, use okay. the good stuff, yeah. You don't like the yeah. good stuff, right. Yeah. It is already good stuff. Make it better <laughs> stuff. There you go. Excellent. Does, yeah. it, does the pairing work? You, you like it? How do you like that? Cool. There's some shaking heads. There's some nodding heads. Who gives this one a thumbs up? Let's uh, show, a, show of thumbs. Thumbs up, thumbs All mediocre, right. or thumbs down. Thumbs down. Don't be shy. It's okay. It's your beer. Okay. Excellent. That's cool. the whole point of tasting is that you explore and you're not committed to it. That's another great thing about craft beer. Cool. So many choices. Maybe, you know, what we should do is just raise hands on which was your favorite pairing. Okay. I, I always like that. So we're going to do one first, two, then. Okay. So be honest. You can't raise your hand twice <laughs> and you have hand. to vote. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So do hands if you like the first one best. Oh, really? Cool. All right. And the second one was the bossa with the saison bread. Who liked that one? That one? All right. Nice. A lot of cheese lovers here. Uh, who <laughs> liked salt, the, the salty? Preaching about. All right. All right. You get four. Cool. Excellent. And who liked number four best? Okay. That was Excellent. pretty even. Nice. Second favorite? Very okay. Very good. Good. So, so, so next time we need to do cheese only. <laughs> salty cheese. 
No, bring the chocolate too. <laughs> we could have a salt half of the room and a and a chocolate half of the room. Would that work go. for people, and you can flip flop and change camps. And, so, who's got a question for Stephen? He is extremely knowledgeable. Obviously, you can see he's got a great sense of humor um, and uh, knowledge about his beers and and the beer world. Who's got a Who's got a question for him? Yes, please. Oh, what is your favorite beer to brew? Is the question. God, Lord. Wow, that is a really that's that's only preceded by the impossibility of answering what's your favorite beer. Um, <laughs> the answer to the bat, by the way. Uh, you know, I, you. I I I like um, I like challenges, I guess. You know, um, I mean, we make a lot of wheat beer, and but still, it's a challenge to make it every day. Uh, but we worked on a project, like I talked about, with the shoots, where we made uh, we made the white IPA. Mm-hmm. You know, because nobody ever made that. It's like making a wheat wine. That's probably one of my favorite beers that we that we made. It's called Harvest Dance Wheat Wine. You know, the reason why we make a wheat wine because nobody knows what a wheat wine is. Same with saison. Nobody knows what a what a what a saison is and what a uh, you know a farmhouse is. Mm-hmm. But I, li- I like to create beers where you kind of make flavors. So the wheat wine, our inspiration was how can we make instead of making a barley wine with wheat, mm. how can we make a wheat a, a beer and put as much wine characteristics in a beer? That was our our point. So what we did is we made made the beer with with wheat and all that, and then we found and then we used a lot of citra, which is a nice hop, newer hop. It's got a lot of uh, Sauvignon Blanc characteristics. So if if you smell that hop in a beer, you can you pick it up right away. Um, and then we we aged the beer on on fresh oak to get you know some white wine characteristics again. And the beer is pretty low in color nice. too. And then what we did, and on top we uh, bottle conditioned it with uh, Muscat grape juice. Because TTB doesn't like us to blend that you know, <laughs> grape. You know, they only want you to use grain, really. And uh, so um, that's, I mean, those was, that was kind of one of those projects where everything kind of came together. I have a lot of projects I can tell you that not, not, <laughs> not everything came together, but, but they're kind of fun to do. I mean, sour beers, making sour beers. We've been at it for four years. We still haven't made a dot of sour beer. I mean, we have a really, really small amount, but it's, it's very frustrating. Um, but I like doing these things too. I, it's just patience and, you know, coming up with the good ideas. The, the white IPA was a fun one. We worked with another brewery together, trying to, you know, you kind of brainstorm all the time. And it was fun. You know, keeping the, the fruity, spicy, wheat character and still make it an IPA. It's kind of fun to do. Is that already available or is that uh, due coming out? It's due, IPA? Yeah, it's due coming out somewhere in July. Okay, fabulous. Excellent. Who else has got um, a You know, we sell in about 20 states now, uh, the Northwest. Everything, um, yeah, we both made our version. So, well, you can buy the Shoots version probably. Where, Atlanta? No, probably not. Uh, but, yeah, we both made our own, the same beer, or we tried to make the same beer, and we, we both have our own distribution. So. You both brewed it in the, in the different... You, they brewed yeah. some at Deschutes. Larry brewed some at Deschutes, uh-huh. and you brewed it at Boulevard, yeah. is what you're saying. Okay. Larry. And have you compared those two? Uh, no, not yet. We brewed ours, and they, I was there a couple of weeks ago to brew. Okay. So, that would be yeah. interesting to compare, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who else has got a question for Stephen? Yes. Go for it. Do you bottle condition all your beers? Yeah, we do. 
Yeah. Uh, well, except Pilsner and, and another lager that we make, or three, we make three lagers in total. Uh, Bastam's is a Maybach that we, Maybach that we make in, in spring, and then Bob's 47 is a lager, and then a Pilsner. These are not bottle conditioned, but all the rest is bottle conditioned. Um, we, we like bottle conditioned beers because the, the yeast is kind of a natural antioxidant. It, it kind of gets in, it, it, it scripts all the oxygen out, and it helps enhance the flavor of the beer. Um, it makes natural carbonation, makes the beer kind of more nicer carbonation. And then, but it's a pain in the neck to do because you have to add the yeast, you have to add the sugar, you have to store it for two weeks of regular bottles and three to four weeks or three months for these guys. And it and it's just eats a lot of storage space. Our warehouse is huge. Uh, if you were walking in there, you'd probably feel like a kid in the candy store. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that much beer. <laughs> but it... You know, bottle conditioning is just a really old technique, and I, I, we just embraced it, and we just kept going with it. We, we just like it. it. All it does is just add a little film at the bottom of your bottle. That's about it. And yeast is good for you. Yeah. Lots of vitamins. Yes, absolutely. I want to point out, go in a slightly different direction if it's okay, even though you don't know what direction it's going in. Um, Boulevard also champions some fantastic sustainability processes and practices. Can you please comment on and tell the crowd a little bit about what Boulevard is doing about um, being a lot more green? Um, yeah, one of the projects is uh, Ripple Glass, which is glass recycling. There was no grass recycling in Kansas City. So everything went to, went to landfill. And um, uh, John, the owner, started a company that uh, basically people can recycle their glass. They mill it, and it goes out to uh, both fiberglass, and then also uh, a part of it goes to our manufacturer for bottles. So we have a close, trying to make a closed loop there. Um, also, the uh, the brewery is zero landfill, so we recover everything. Uh, there's uh, plastic, uh, you name it, everything is, gets recovered. Of course, pen grain goes to you know. To uh, to cattle, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, to cows and stuff like that. But uh, everything else from pallets and plastic and beer caps to anything, anything, uh, we don't, nothing goes to landfill. And we work with a um, cement manufacturing basically to that. So anything that's not goes that we can't get recycled, they burn and put into cement. So that's well yeah. done. Thanks. Thank you. More and more breweries are being aware of that and active. It seems like for a long time, breweries have uh, recycled, so to speak, their spent grain, you know, mm-hmm. giving it to local farmers and so forth. And so it's nice to see other breweries really, like yeah. you, really pushing it forward and, and uh, making that matter for everybody. Yep. So yep. kudos. We're just one of the many that do that. I mean, yes. yeah. It's a great crowd to hang with. Who else has a question for Stephen tonight? Or a comment, for that matter? Comment? No comments. All right. Uh, while you're stewing on some more questions, Stephen, why don't you tell us about this shape of bottle, what it's called, and why this is becoming more popular, and uh, how you can find beer in different shape bottles these days. I mean, you have the 12 ounce, which uh-huh. is pretty yeah. iconic, and yeah. now all of a sudden you've got this. Oh, okay. I thought you wanted me to explain the shape I of want the you bottle. To open oh that and God. fill our glasses. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's an idea. Uh, um, the whole idea why we started with these. 750s, as we call them, the 750 mLs, is we wanted to get, like we do here today, we wanted to get beer back to the table. Um, I grew up in Belgium, and um, they're probably going to sue me if I say that, but I drank beer growing up. I, as a kid, 
six years old, I drove to school on my little bicycle and drove back on my bicycle. And my mom had a lunch ready for me, and there was a, ta- a bottle of table beer there. It's 1.5% alcohol, but it's made from grain, water, you know, and, and hops, and it's all, it's all natural. Um, and your mom it, made it. No, no, no. I mean, you just buy it. Table oh, no. beer. Yeah, yeah. I was liking your mom already. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can I go my, visit your mother? <laughs> my, my mom made a lot of alcoholic beverages in her life, but um, but uh, it, it's just I mean, it just comes natural to have beer at the table. In um, when I came over here, and beer was just you put the cap off and you just put drink it out of the bottle as fast as you can. I'm like. Uh, hello. I mean, there's more to this. You know, it's in 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 Europe. Drinking beer is a social entertainment. Here, it's almost it's almost a sin to drink beer, because they look at you. They want to. You want you to put it in a brown bag, and you can. Some states you can only That's use malt buy. Liquor, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can only buy that much and stuff like that. So what we really want to do is kind of like okay, beer and food. It's 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 a made in heaven. It's just natural. There's a lot of brew, there's a lot of companies in the world where it just comes natural to do that. And um, so we thought, well, what we want to do is put these in a big bottle and put them on the wine list at restaurants. And a lot of a lot of initially a lot of restaurants picked up on it and and they and they shared them. Mm-hmm. Um, now we put a lot of these beers also in small bottles because. For some people, these big bottles are too much. I don't understand it, but for some people, they're too much. So I got to tell a story. We, we make these four-packs now. And they come in small bottles, and we, we started bottling these, and our employees take you know, the low fills or the crooked label back home and stuff. And after a couple of weeks, when the beer is bottle conditioned, I run into these guys, and they're like, man, I love these four-packs. I drank a full four-pack. I'm like, hold on, hold, no, that wasn't the idea. The idea is that you were drinking one beer. Yeah, but you open the fridge, you get one, you get, oh, I want another one. And before you know it, the four-pack is gone. I'm like, did you know you drink more than a big bottle now? Oh, really? I'm like, hello. Yeah. Didn't you say that one glass <laughs> yeah, it is. begs for That's another one to be That's the story. Yeah. The story is that really it's less intimidating. You can keep opening small bottles when, when you open a big bottle and your wife is looking over your shoulder or your husband is looking over the shoulder like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping track. Keeping track, I guess, Very yeah. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Right on. Thank you for commenting on that. So demand that beer returns to your menus too. Wherever you patronize your restaurant business, ask for it and ask for it specifically by name. The three-tier system in America with the, with the beer distribution, with the brewery or the importer, the distributor and the retailer um, does dictate how it unfolds unless your state is a self-distributing state. At the same time, if you enjoy good beer, which you clearly do since you're sitting in this room, ask for it and keep asking for it until they do something about it for you because that's the way, that's, that's why we are 30 years into craft beer in America and we have the headway that we have Um, And so keep asking for beer, ask for it by name, ask for it generally, whatever it may be, and and support your local brewer. Most Americans live within 10 miles of a brewery. There is almost no reason that you can't get fresh beer. So keep asking for it. Keep keep pushing the envelope for us. Stephen, you've been fantastic. Any parting shots for Stephen? All right. There's there's plenty of good beer out there today. Yes. Thank you so much. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find the rest of the Saver podcast, visit craftbeerradio.com slash saver or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for details on the licensing.